Bezer Hashem. This is Pesach 5781. And with Divine Providence, I'm on a very beautiful section of a book called Shar HaYichud Ve'amuna. And it's the second part, Chalak Sheni, from Ravi Aaron Halevi Horvitz Masash Shala. He was one of the main students of the Balatanya, Shkutu Yigenalina. So he says like this, Shemitzah Natsmusi Yisbarach, In Latayr Lav Shum Midah V'Shum Sfirah, Amor Al Ezei Chalchas Shalom. That the whole first part of this book is discussing how there's really two perspectives on creation, God's perspective and our perspective. From God's perspective, there's only Him. From our perspective... We see that Hashem created a whole system of spectra of revelation and hiddenness such that there is only Hashem. This is the main faith and munah of the Israeli is that there's only God. Not that there's a world and that God animates it, but that there's really only God and that the world and what we understand as a world is only a function of so many certain ways of concealing God that all other items we understand as facets of creation only emerge via very specific ways of hiding Hashem and revealing Hashem within the hiddenness. But there's really only God. Okay, so then again, if there's only Hashem, then where do all the particular experiences that we have from whence do they emerge? That the only way we have an experience of all kinds of expressions, particularities, is through the creation. Now the creation, the word Bria, creation, has the connotation of revelation. Livro also means to create, also means to reveal. Also in Aramaic, lavar means outside versus lagav means inside. That really, it's almost like you can say Hashem is turning his light of expression of himself inside out. That he hides himself through its simsum. Kadin Kimsa that the Simsum is a expressive power of concealment. It's not that God forbid it's not that God forbid Hashem vacated any sort of space. Rather the space itself is a revelation of a power of concealment, like a like a garment. It's a revelation that's a concealing revelation. God didn't go anywhere. Rather he revealed a power of concealment called a garment, a lavush. And then within that power of concealment, he re-expresses himself 
in so many sorts of shapes and forms, which gives rise to a creation, which is called outside, meaning on the other side of this garment. Hashem ata seiter, ata kel mistater, as we're going to see. Hashem is a hidden God that he hides inside of the forms of the world. But really, he didn't go anywhere. It's all an experience of concealment and then revealing through the concealment that it's all simply a form of revelation. He didn't actually go anywhere. Now, the mystery is that anybody with a logical sense, it's obvious, even to the Hasidah Umasa Olam, even to the righteous of the Gentiles who weren't given the Torah, it's obvious that there's a creator behind this world. It's obvious that there's a divine being that's sustaining this universe. It can't just exist on its own. That's very obvious to logic. But the bigger question is, our faith, which is there's only God, yet all of this stuff, all these particular experiences are emerging. So where's the room for all these particular experiences to emerge? And the answer is that we said there's this interplay of concealment and revelation. That the first revelation, in a sense, in a certain sense, was this force of concealment. And then within that revelation of a concealment, which we call the tzimtzum, the constriction, within that revealed concealment, that revealed garment of concealment, he reveals himself in certain patterns, revealing and hiding in certain ways. On, off, light, dark, one, zero. Pushing out here, not pushing out there. His light, his energy of expression. Right. Now we're going to skip a little bit like this. Okay. Now, when you talk about the world of revelation that we're saying he expressed for many, many pages in the first part, which we're not doing on this recording, we're doing the second part now, that the whole understanding is that from God's perspective, all that he creates everything, but that from his perspective, all the powers of creation are totally one with him and you couldn't see any difference in Hashem's light whatsoever, God forbid. However, you have to say that he has the capacity, the potential to express in different forms the way that a person's soul, his indivisible, distinct, unique soul, is absolutely simple, perfect, indivisible, and one. And just because a person over here is playing music and over there is speaking a speech and over here is eating and over there is sleeping, it doesn't change who he is whatsoever. He remains who he is no matter what he does. He remains a simple, distinct soul, just that soul, never ever changing. 
Yet, at the same time, despite that, no matter what he does, he doesn't change in his fundamental essence. He might grow, he might learn, he might improve, he might become more kind, he might become more knowledgeable, but it doesn't change his essence. Rather, it changes his tools of expressing his essence. So even though his essence is completely simple, given that, yet we also say, we also say that for sure within that simple essence is the capacity to express all those different expressions, despite it being a completely simple essence, it yet has the capacity, the power to express in so many unique different ways. That is the way we understand the paradox that there's only one Hashem, his light is simple, and yet he has the capacity to express in every particular creation. Now, by the sides of the creations, from the side of looking at the creations, we see that there are three basic levels to creation. Now, and this is giving rise to the three worlds, and this is very fascinating. There are three basic worlds, so let's follow his text very carefully now. Bria, Yitzira, Sia. There are three worlds. Bria, creation, Yitzira, formation, Asiya, action. Now, If you're going to look, let's start from the beginning. If you look at anything in creation, you see that generally it is comprised of a pattern of top, middle, bottom. Rosh, tuch, sof. Top, middle, bottom. A head, a torso, and feet. Which is hinted to in the verse that you hide yourself. You hide yourself as safe there. Which is the letters in a certain configuration, Samach Tuf Resh, which stands for Sof and Tuf, middle, Toch, Resh is Rosh head. You hide yourself, you are Sacer, you hide yourself in the creations which have a top, middle, and bottom. You hide yourself inside the creation which has a top, middle, and bottom. In the philosophical language and the Kabbalistic language, we describe these things as from bottom to top. The bottom, which is symbolized by the feet, is called morgash, the tangible world or tangible properties. Then you have mutba or natural properties. An item's behavior or nature is represented by the middle or the torso, like where the heart is, the feelings, the, the character traits. And the muskal is represented by the head. That's the intellectual or rational properties of something. Why it exists. What is the logic behind its properties? Why should it have those properties? How do those properties interact with the properties of other beings? So again, we have head, middle, bottom, which is rational properties at the head, natural properties in the torso, tangible properties in the feet area. Like this. And there are three universal worlds. There's a world of rational properties. There's a world of natural properties and a world of tangible properties, as we're going to see. And they blend together in very fascinating ways. Tangible is just the tangibility of things, that they're tangible that you can touch them, you can see them. They're right here. You, you can sense them with your five senses. That's the tangible world. 
The next world is the world of natural properties, the characteristics and behavior, the unique characteristics of each tangible item is going to be in the world of natural properties. It's a higher world than the tangible world, but it encloses in the tangible world. The way that a lion, you could see, well, I have a tangible lion, and he's furry, and if I'm touching him, he's been tamed, so he's not going to bite my hand off. So I can touch this tangible lion, I can at least see him with my eyes, I can hear his roar. But I understand that that tangible lion that I can sense and grasp with my five senses, there's a nature there's a, there's a characteristic, a ferocious characteristic that's enclothing in that tangible lion. That, that ferocious characteristic is a spirituality. It's a spiritual fer- ferocity. That's a spiritual behavior, a spiritual characteristic, which is enclothing inside the vehicle of the tangible lion. Such that we can separate in our minds between the tangible lion that I can see, hear, and touch, if it's tamed, <coughs> and the spirituality of the lion, which is its ferocious nature. But the real lion is the ferocious nature thing. The real lion is the spiritual ferocity. That's the real lion. The real lion is the spiritual ferocious force. The tangible lion is the mere vehicle to that spiritual ferocious force. That would be the second world called Yitzira. Right? Or you can talk about a kind person. So a, a kind person has a body. But that body that you can have tangibility, you can touch that body, you can see it, you can hear it, etc., that body is merely a vehicle to the, to the more essentiality of the person, which is that he's a kind person, and that kind spiritual nature is, is more the real person. And the tangible body is just a vehicle to that essence of that person as a kind person. Yeah. Now that, that, so we've gone from the legs to the torso. The legs is the tangible world. The legs is representing the tangible world. The torso is representing the, the world of spiritual characteristics, the natural properties. This thing's nature versus that thing's nature. Such that the tangible is just a vehicle to that spiritual nature, that spiritual behavior. And the top world represented by the head, this is going to be the world of really why. The world of why. Why should this person be kind versus this person be cruel? Why is a lion ferocious and a snail slow? Why is the world round? Why, what, what explains the interaction of these different animals in this ecosystem versus that ecosystem? Why did Hashem create a world that would progress in a linear fashion such that through time we would develop more technology? The, the, the why, the pondering, the asking, why should this item have this characteristic versus that characteristic? What is the use of it? And how do all these different properties interact with all the other different properties across time and space? That's the world of the head, representing the rational properties, the reasons for all the different properties. And to give it away a little bit, he's going to say that this is the world that's closest to Hashem's light and that the ultimate reason for everything such that all other reasons split off from this one reason, is that the ultimate common denominator reason for any and every particular item and event in creation is that it serves a specific function of revealing God that would 
feels the way it feels and behaves the way it behaves and grows in trees and not in rocks and and people become grandparents and water is cold usually but heats up with the sun you know anything you can talk about and say well why is that why should this chemical have these chem- chemical properties why should water melt why should it become steam why should it be clear versus why does the sky why is the sky blue all the questions you can ask why the ultimate reason behind all those questions and questions and embedded in questions and interrelating with other questions the ultimate answer is these are all necessary facets to reveal hashem because hashem creates everything and he does nothing for no reason Everything has a specific reason that interrelates and interlocks with the reason for every other property. And the all-encompassing, interlocking, woven reason of reasons is that they all work together to precisely reveal God in the way he wanted to reveal himself. Which is a beautiful meditation in personal growth because... When something difficult happens, we say, why did this happen to me? And the answer is extremely complex. And really, in truth, categorically, the reason it really happened implicates the reason why anything else ever happened. Things we can never imagine wanting to know because they happened before we were born and they're going to happen after we pass away. And they happen in all parts of the globe and all parts of the universe. And that this constellation, the reason, the true deep reason for everything is embedded in the reason for everything else. And the real reason that something difficult happens is way beyond fathoming because it implicates the reason for every other event. So then we just are immediately circle back to the simple answer. Why is this happening? Because somehow it has a role to play in the ultimate function of the world that it should all reveal God. I have no idea why it had to be experienced this way versus that way, but the answer and the calculation is so completely beyond any human's imaginative thought to even approach answering why Moshe asked Hashem please show me your ways and he got only a glimpse he was only able to see says Rabbi Yitzchak he was able to have an experience how the different events of the world yes were flowing from one source of one ultimate logic that interweaves and interlaces the logic of every event but he was not given permission to see all the details because then he would disappear it's too much You can't be a human and know that. So then we go back to the simple acceptance that the reason this difficult thing happened is that it's interwoven in the reason for every other happening because they all working together in one system to reveal God. And we cannot ever hope to fathom the interweaving of the events of everything that ever happened in this universe until... It's over. Then we will know. But until then, we have to take it in faith. Om Chimutsus Hamitsus Zeonikra Mutba Hua Tba Shnitba 
Maskalata Shalapri or Aisa with the Mehem who me pnei Aisa mehuvan v'tam hatiye. Natenet hatam v'seichol shkachu sidram. Okay, so he says, for example, let's anal- uh, analyze this <coughs> according to uh, fruit. So again, we have the tangible world, the world of characteristic properties, and then the world of intellectual, rational reasons. So in the tangible world, you have the tangible fruit. It looks red. It's a red apple. It's a red apple. It looks red. It tastes sweet. It's got a circular shape. It fits nicely in your hand. Okay, that's the tangible. The characteristics is it's sweet. It tastes sweet. It, it, it's healthy for you. Um, it makes you feel so full and so not full if you have only one. And then the rational properties for the apple is why should it be red? Why should it be round? Why should it fit in your hand? Why should it grow when it grows? And why should it not grow when it doesn't grow? And how do all its properties interact with all the other properties of every other item in the universe? So that's called the bottom, middle, and top of the apple, spiritually speaking. The bottom, the idea of the bottom, the idea of the legs is the tangibility of the apple. The middle, which is the the getting closer to the spiritual core of it, is that it Apples are apples. They're not oranges. They, they, they're they not orange oranges. They are red apples. They're not cheese. They're not water. They're not meat. They are what they are. Because tangibility is going to say there's basically one tangible substance. And from that one tangible substance shoots off all the different particular items. And each item is separate from his friend because of his unique characteristic. So the unique characteristic is called the middle versus the bottom is just called the tangibility. The tangibility is like the pure raw mold, the pure raw wax that gets stamped with the mold of a particular characteristic. So the bottom is called the pure wax. It's just stuff. It's just tangibility. The middle is called the unique characteristics that impresses itself in pure stuff and makes it this an apple, this a zebra, this a human, this a shoe, etc. And then that's the middle. And then the top the top, which is called the head, is called why. Why should a zebra have black and white stripes versus a water buffalo have horns? Why should a human being be able to talk and not any other animal? We're not animals, but any other being. And Why should only human beings be able to talk in, in the world, etc.? Why should all these things have their properties? And the answer, the deep answer, is that all the interlocking reasons for everything has to do with they all are weaving together for some reason that Shem wanted that they should have these properties to reveal him in a precise fashion across the historical process. Again, the real, the real differentiator is in the middle world, in the world of the characteristics. This is what makes this a big, ferocious ox and this a docile little white sheep. That's in the world of character. That's in the world of the natural traits. Because the tangible world, so... Tangible things are tangible. They basically, they have, you can feel them and you can see them and you can hear them. But the way you see them, hear them, feel them, which makes them different, that's really coming from a higher world, which is the world of the properties. Why should a bull be black and a sheep be white and a bull be, uh, uh, you're liable to get killed by a charging bull in a rodeo versus a sheep's not going to kill you? What makes this a 
deadly tangible thing versus this a docile tangible thing. What makes this a deadly tangible bull and this a docile tangible sheep? It's really the middle world of the character traits because tangible is tangible, but it's the middle world which makes this a ferocious tangible thing versus this a not ferocious tangible thing that is from the next middle world of the world of the character traits. Because again, if you talk about if you talk about living beings, so every living being has flesh. It's basically all just meat. You know? If you <laughs> it's weird, but you know, if you, if you cooked up a person, you'd see meat. If you cooked up a, a horse, you'd see meat. If you cooked up a, a kosher cow, it's meat. It's just meat. So the tangible world is is pretty much not really unique amongst things. You know, even even fruits have flesh in their way. What's different is in the character traits. Okay. All right, the next chapter we'll do something really fascinating. Ezra Shem.